Welcome to Buy My Telingual today. My name is Elizabeth Aitai and I'm your host. My guest today is a Mexican-American artist born and raised in Oregon by hardworking Mexican immigrant parents. Her image-based work creates illusions that conjure the realms of the imagination without presenting a factual reality. They intersect femininity, self-identity, and wonder. Her work has been exhibited in the U.S. and abroad and has been published in The New Yorker, New York Times, Vice, PDN, and Landscript. In 2020, she was included in the Top Photo Lucida 50 Critical Mass and won Best of Show at the Center for Photographic Arts International Jury Exhibition. She is currently moving her creative practice to a new home and working on building a color darkroom. I always start the podcast with the people introducing themselves by name and where they're from, because I think that's important for everyone to pronounce their names. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Norma Cordova. I'm a Mexican-American. Um, I consider myself a creative and I'm a daughter of immigrant parents. I was born and raised in Oregon and I grew up um, speaking Spanish and then learned to speak English through my brothers and television. <laughs> oh, really? Through your yeah. family? Mm -hmm. I grew up speaking Spanish. That was the first language that, um, the only language that I spoke um, from a baby till um, kindergarten. And once I entered kindergarten, by then I, from hearing my brother speak and also from watching television and cartoons, I learned to speak English, you know, very shyly, you know. So when I'd come back home, you know, we all we all spoke Spanish, you know. And as a child, you know, you just think that everybody spoke Spanish in their household. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I grew up speaking my native language is Spanish. And then over time, because of entering the educational system, I spoke English fluently, you know, because that's the language that I had to learn in order to navigate my life. And then slowly, that became the dominant language that I spoke. But at, at home, I'd always, as soon as I'd walk in the door, we would speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. You said you spoke English very shyly when you were young? I, yeah, I did. I did. I felt intimidated, you know? Um, I I just felt intimidated to speak it because I didn't feel like I really spoke it very well. And everyone, everybody, because I mean, I was like one of maybe um, two Latin kids in kindergarten mm -hmm. and um, we were both pretty shy and all the other kids were very confident and very fluent in English. So um, I felt insecure about speaking English, you know, honestly, in retrospect, I didn't know it at the time, but I was a shy kid uh, to begin with. So that doesn't surprise me. And then until you get to know me, then I was just a terror. <laughs> and, then, and then what age did you enter kindergarten? How old were you? Well, it had to be like probably like maybe like five, six. It was such a traumatic experience for me to leave my household where everything, you know, everything is familiar. And I and I hear this too for a lot of a lot of kids, you know, when you leave your home and you go to a, another space and you're surrounded by I, you know, foreign, like, to me, it was like foreign people, you know, and, yeah. and everybody's speaking in, in, in English. And so it was so different from my household. So it was intimidating. 
And then, you know, you get the hang of it. And then I just have an anxiety of being away from my, my mother and my father as well. You know, um, mm-hmm. the familiarity of it, that security and that love, you know, and that mm-hmm. warmth and stuff. Yeah, and like, leaving, like an, oh. leaving the nest for the first time. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, it, was, it was intimidating. Yeah, I can it's imagine. Scary. Yeah, and then going to space where you're not familiar with the language to the same extent adds to it, right? That adds a whole other layer to it, too, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was just leaving home, new new language. I knew I understood it. And okay. so it was, it was like going, oh, okay. So, you know, I'm like, I'm entering the educational system and I'm learning the native language of the U.S. And so it's like, oh, okay. So... <laughs> I'm curious at what level would you describe your English skills when you entered um, kindergarten was it I like to say kitchen language the kitchen level you know like give me the bread do you have a knife um, I'm thirsty <laughs> like basics yeah I think it was kitchen level yeah I think to be able to communicate I need to use the bathroom my name is Norma um, you know and they're like and they're like teaching you you know one two threes like you know counting to 10 and the ABCs and learning learning that so yeah very much um, you know saying just very basics very very mm-hmm. basics and at home it was um, don't you don't your own native language is just part of you you know it's like in your blood it's in your DNA mm-hmm. so you don't even mm-hmm. question it it just it just flows out of you so very yeah. fluid. Well, how long did it take you to uh, become comfortable with English? I think by the time I entered like the, you know, primary school, like first grade, I was very comfortable because by that time I'm consuming so much television and uh, (laughs) like learning, learning like English through tele, you know, through watching this, this apparatus that, you know, is cartoons and, and, and then my older brothers as well. So my, I had, uh, I have two older brothers. Um, one is six years older than me. The other one's three years older than me. And so they were completely fluent in English, you know, by the time I um, entered um, kindergarten and, and also in elementary. And so hearing them play with their friends. Um, so I think by the time I was in first grade, I was definitely like, you know, fluent in English, you know, and comfortable enough to speak. And But um, I struggled academically for other for other reasons. Um, because I, I came to learn as more as an adult that I'm a different kind of learner that, you know, and when you struggle, you don't really speak up, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't really understand mm-hmm. like your struggles and you don't understand like also your narrative. There was a few of us Latin kids and stuff. And I think academically, I think we all struggled probably maybe because we dominated our own native language better than English. So that was a struggle. Um, like right now in this moment in time, which language do you feel most comfortable with, English or Spanish? Wow, I, I definitely, because I've lived all my entire life in the U.S., it's English. But there's words or forms of, um, at times, that I can express myself better in Spanish. And then I speak another another form, too, is Spanglish. I mix them. If I have friends who speak Spanish, I'll mix English and Spanish when I'm struggling to find a word that fits that emotion or paints that picture that I'm trying to express myself, I definitely, I'll, I'll pick words in Spanish. They'll be concise <laughs> and colorful and add the right amount of humor 
into the conversation mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll brighten or line up a room and we'll make us giggle or, or, or maybe dramatize it in a, in a mm-hmm. certain way too, you know? And, and because we, we, uh, with my friends, we, since we both like speak English and Spanish, it just, I don't know, it just is kind of fun to be able to be able to like bounce back and forth. And sometimes the conversation will start in English and then I'll end in completely in Spanish. Right. That's a later question, but I want to bring it in now. Um, because you said it brings liveliness into the conversation when you switch from English to Spanish. Do you feel the rhythm of the languages and how do you feel them? I do. I feel, I feel like Spanish has this very like, uh, like a warm dance. It's like mm-hmm. a little bit of this, like, it's like a dance. It's, it it, 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 it it does it can feel kind of sexy and then also it can also have like lots of um lots of warmth but lots of humor in it too but it just it's very fluid and it and I just feel like I can dance with it and wiggle around and just kind of bathe myself in it and it just feels Mm -hmm. good it makes me feel good it makes me feel really like Sometimes I feel really excited when I when I speak Spanish, um, or when I learn a, um, a a different word that I from an uh, from one of my friends who's maybe not from Mexico or something, or they're from I don't know Cuba or they're from they're from Peru and they 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 have a way of expressing themselves differently in Spanish. So it's it's like a mishmash of like ooh I go I didn't I've never heard someone express themselves that though and they say the same thing to me. They're like. Oh, I've never heard that either. So we, we, even though we have this commonality that we speak Spanish, but it has so many different flavors and spices and ingredients to it. So it's just not, it's not linear. And in English, and and I guess not the British English, the old English and stuff, which also is different, has a different cadence. It can feel, English can feel a little bit more straightforward and British sometimes can feel very sterile in a way very clinical yeah. and yeah. sterile and just like yeah. proper and it, and it and it comes with that the proper old english right so my husband's turkish and i noticed this with like different languages i even noticed like in turkish language how they don't use accents and like in spanish we use accents to emphasize and i feel it becomes animated and so turkish sounds very sterile to me and very flat where in Spanish, because of the accents, it like dances around. And I guess that's what I mean. Oh, I see. Yeah. The span- with Spanish, I feel like there's this little sazon, mm-hmm. <laughs> this little sazon, little seasoning in there and where you can kind of emphasize something in the sentence or a word and stuff because of the accent when you mm-hmm. speak it. I see what you mean. And there are bigger um, differences between the intonations. What you experience as monotony is probably then the lack of the heights and lows, which she asked. Yeah, I knew enough of Turkish language in ourselves to get myself into trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's okay. just very kind of very flat. And I was just like, and when I would speak it, I'm like, you know, my husband's like, there's no accent in it, Norma. And I'm just like, ah, I struggle. I would struggle because I want to put accents into like Turkish language and and to and and to I'm like going well it just needs a little bit it needs a little intonation in there <laughs> so I noticed I noticed that I like the rhythm of Spanish I like it makes me sometimes want to dance and also with like the you know the music if you speak Spanish you become a more lively person how mm-hmm. how would you say or what happens to you when you then switch back to English do you become like the I don't know serious Norma or does it affect your physicality 
as much that it also may affect your personality? Yeah, I, I, I do catch myself that I feel like I become more relaxed in Spanish. When I meet um, other uh, Latinos or Latinas, um, I just kind of like, oh, we have this commonality. And it's like, oh, they're going to understand when I, if I add a little colorful word or a little, like a little something into, into the sentence, they're going to, it's going to make us all kind of smile. So there's this, like this welcoming and this warmth that automatically seems to happen. And then my, my hands become more gestural. And I feel like my, my personal space that I come closer to people and mm -hmm. stuff. And then with English, I think I become a little bit more professional or a little bit more reserved, a little bit more conservative, I guess I would say. So I relax a lot more physically within when I speak Spanish. And I have to catch myself too, because I've, I've had to be an interpreter, like for the labor commissioner and also for asylum cases at times. And And, you know, in, you know, you're dealing with legality and the, the language is different. So it becomes very clinical. I have to make sure that I restrict like my arms down. <laughs> Sometimes I don't like, you know, you, I, I can't animate myself, even though we're speaking and there's lawyers present or something in, in the room and, you know, things can get heated and I'm just like, okay, I just have to remind myself. <laughs> Because I'm basically, I'm code switching. I'm like going from English to Spanish and Spanish to English. And it's just like, whoa. So I, some, I have to have that, that happy medium that I go, I can't become animated in Spanish and I have to keep it very professional. So then I have to constrain my, my Spanish not be so animated and so lively. But in more, in more casual situations, you know, I relax in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Despite you having mentioned that you feel more comfortable with English these days, you still mm -hmm. have that deep trust. Interesting. And um, do you feel any kind of fatigue when you switch between languages? Back oh, home? yes. It, 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 my brain becomes extremely tired. Um, and I, and I, and I speak from a space, uh, personal professional spaces that I've been in interpreting mm -hmm. back and forth. It, it really works the, the neural, uh, synapses, the transmitters are struggling to be able to code switch back and forth and to be able to find the right words because, uh, legally, you know, you can like completely color um, something completely different. And that's not what they meant. I've come out of interpreting where it took me my brain, I can honestly say took my brain and like my the physicality two days to recover. It is an art and it is a skill to be able to do that. And I'm extremely grateful being able to be bilingual. I feel that I'm more, definitely more um, academically speaking, more fluid in English than I am in Spanish. So my my Spanish brain needs to catch up <laughs> there. That was the part that becomes exhausting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is your Spanish brain and your Spanish self more emotional? Yeah. I can kind of say that. I think that's um, the duality that lives within me through my culture as well. You know, I do feel like um, my, my Spanish is more emotional than my English. I think my English is there's that it's like that yin and yang. They balance each other out. When I start getting a little too emotional for for something in, in Spanish, I'm like going, the voice of reason can come in English and be like, don't get so dramatic there. I'm like, let's kind of reassess things <laughs> or something. You know, I'm like, don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't make yeah. it more dramatic than it needs to be. 
I'm so glad that I learned that my native language was Spanish. There was a time when I was younger that I really, really struggled to fit in, to feel accepted. And I really wanted to get rid of the Spanish in me. And I really kind of, there was a time that I was really angry that I hated that I spoke Spanish or that I knew Spanish. And then I felt, because I felt different academic, I felt different in the, uh, I felt that I was looked at differently. Um, and I didn't understand my narrative as an immigrant kid, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I grew up in a community. There was only a few Latin families that actually settled in the Valley and weren't just the seasonal workers that would come and go. And so we were one of few families that did. And so I grew up there. And since I didn't understand it, I didn't understand my struggles. They were all internal. They were internal battles, you know, and I didn't have, and I didn't feel like I had anybody else to communicate those struggles with. Because my parents didn't understand because they spoke Spanish and they were just having to like, you know, worry about like putting food on the table and, yeah. and, you know, put clothes on our back and making sure that we're going to school. And hopefully, you know, that, you know, they, they wanted something that where we didn't have to work so hard like they did, you know. You, you said that those were mainly your internal struggles. What were the triggering aspects? Oh, wow. Yeah. Sadly, I did experience, uh, I did witness and I did hear things of being like, you know, um, derogatory, like comments about like some, some more of the seasonal immigrant kids that were required to be placed in the educational system and really not knowing any English. And so in the 80s, there was a program called ESL, English as a Second Language. And I guess they didn't really prepare, like communicate with the rest of the student body about what that really meant. And I unfortunately did witness them being treated differently and me trying to stand up for them and saying, well, you know, I'm also, you know, like name calling, like calling, like just it was really unfortunate calling them like beaners and they're dirty. And I'm just kind of like having to be like, I'm like, why are you calling them uh, because they eat beans? Well, my family eats beans. So I guess I'm a beaner too. And they're like, there was such a distinction because they saw me like, you know, they grew up with me um, throughout the educational system because I lived in that community. Um, and they, they would be like, no, you look different and you smell different and you sound different. It, it just did. It made me really angry internally. So I, I was really, really angry about like, treating other people who maybe didn't dominate the English language that, you know, this country that we're supposed to be speaking and navigating our lives, you know, like when I didn't feel like there was, there was empathy or compassion. And, you know, and I didn't even know that I just felt it, you know, but I did stand up. I just remember it's the situation where it has stuck with me that why are you seeing me differently when I speak Spanish and I'm bilingual and There was like this kind of like going, wow, should I feel like shame because I speak Spanish now? Because there's this individual communicating saying that these individuals who speak Spanish are dirty. So there was discrimination. Yeah. You know, definitely in my community, not so outwardly at times, but luckily there was a Japanese American who was quite popular and she actually stood up and said, you know, you know, you know, that's really mean of you to say that. Don't say that. I'm like, just ignore her. She's just being stupid or something, you know? And I was just like getting so angry because it made me so angry that I wanted to punch her and be like, that is so rude. 
you know, and so inconsiderate. The Latina wanted to come out and pounce on her, Elizabeth. (laughs) Thank God there's always people who, you know, who defend other ones. What's paradox to me, um, uh, that actually you speak a language that comes from the colonizers as well. Yeah. And English is language of the colony. It is, yeah. And so... Even now, in, at my age, still understanding my narrative and understanding like some of the the inner um, struggles of being able to say because there's like a saying in Spanish, "ni de aquí ni de allá." I also experienced it, um, which basically is like I'm neither from here nor from there. That I felt, and at times that I felt like I didn't have a country because mm-hmm. I first generation born here. But when I'd go visit like my relatives in Mexico, I have an accent when I speak Spanish, you know, and so they they detect it. And then, you know, in also like different regions throughout Mexico, like different states, they all have a different little bit of a different nuances of how they express themselves and how also that, you know, just kind of like the North and the South, like, you know, in the U.S., it's the same thing in Mexico. And so they would be like, you speak funny. <laughs> you know, they're like, your Spanish is funny. And I'm just kind of like going, yeah. So it's like, it was intimidating too to go back. I'm like, wow, I don't get accepted there. And I also am not getting accepted here. So I must not belong. So there was like my friends who are also first generation born here. And I was having a friend who's her family's from Vietnam and we had the same conversation. She goes, yeah, it's almost like we don't belong. <laughs> We're like, yeah, I, I don't belong in Vietnam and I don't belong here. Where do we belong? I said, I don't know. I, I feel you though. I completely understand you. You know, the question is, do you want to belong and do you need a country for that? Now I'm, I'm definitely more comfortable of saying that I belong wherever I go and that should be fine I belong within my own space mm-hmm. that I really don't I really don't need a country that I just need to be comfortable within my own body and mind and um, that has been giving me a lot more peace you know um, but I understand why I was so angry as a teenager <laughs> yeah. you know do you, do you still feel that anger at times from the 2016 elections here in the US, that really brought out my anger and brought a lot of sadness out. Mm-hmm. And I think it things were bubbling underneath the surface and people were um, ignoring it. It's been going on for a really, really long time. So yes, to answer your question, yes, I still do. I still feel very, very angry because there's a lot of inequality and a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, lack of compassion and empathy in our country. Yeah. There's that whole same kind of like what what I experienced in high school from that individual targeting those individuals and separating those individuals instead of like seeing it through the lens of why don't you put yourself in their shoes? Why don't you just say how grateful you are about your life and the situation that you, you know, you No, people don't make choices of who, where you were born and how you were born and, you know, the circumstances and getting yourself out of poverty is a struggle. It's not easy to do. It's it's not this whole fallacy that, you know, lifting yourself up by your bootstraps. You need a backbone and you need support. And that support comes from generational wealth, you know, and it takes a really long time. Unfortunately, what I found really surprising and I learned a lot while being in the U.S. is that um, the U.S. is being seen on the outside as as this this country where equality really reigns. Mm, It has gotten through, you know, to the other side. 
uh, or the, the critical things haven't haven't surfaced um, outside the U.S. And now it's good. We all look towards the U.S., but then the U.S. They haven't um, critically, like, how can I put it? It's like owning up to the wrongs that they have done. And you know, that ownership brings a lot of shame. Most two means are imperfect to be able to accept those imperfections and not deny them, you know, and say, you know, we messed up and how do we correct it? But there's so many people that just you have to look back in order to improve things to in order to move forward. And the U.S. has always been that beacon of light to for everybody else, because it always seems like things are so much better and easier until mm. you come here. And I heard that a lot from immigrant families. They, they're like, I work harder here than what I ever did in my country. And I never have time for my family or my kids because I'm constantly working. It's not all this, this glamorous life <laughs> for, for many immigrant families. So yeah, it's, uh, it's 2016 brought a lot of ugliness to the surface, but it's been there things um boiled over in 2016 and, and and this golden surface exploded and all the ugliness surfaced forward yeah mm-hmm. um i want to ask you like did you ever feel that you belong to the u.s oh wow you're putting me on the spot um you know to be really honest with you no <laughs> mm-hmm. and sadly to say it's because of my physical appearance mm-hmm. i don't you know, people look at me and they are, they question, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from Oregon. And then they're like, no, no. I mean, where, where do you, where, you, you know, that I grew up, I grew up with that. And I don't get offended by it, honestly. And I, I'm like, oh, you're asking me where my, you know, where my family, where my family is from. I'm just where um, my family's from Mexico, you know, I'm like going, but I was born, mm-hmm. I was born here, first generation. And so they're like, Mexico. And they're always like, oh, I thought you were Lebanese or I thought you were Italian or I thought, you know, it, it's just, it's, you know, you don't look Mexican. And I'm just like, and it's always like, well, what, am, what, what does a Mexican look like? You know, it's, we're such a blend and, you know, it's like, also, what does America look like? We're such a, you know, we're a land of immigrants, right? Yeah. The only Americans here are the Native Americans, right? That's true. But there's also like, you know, Mexico was part of the U.S., right? It's like we were here. So I'm like going, I should be more American than you. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you came here to settle. You manifest destiny, right? <laughs> I'm like, you came here to take the land because your God and your religion said that it was rightfully yours to do and to improve and to settle and to make this land great. There's still that manifest destiny that is the ugliness of it has like, you know, the 2016 election really like surfaced all that ugliness. Looking the other way, not speaking, it's uncomfortable. You know, it's uncomfortable. Any ugliness is uncomfortable to speak about and to accept and to be able to cope and everybody copes differently. I feel like our country, people need to kind of reflect and have a little bit more empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah, and general, right? in a- we're a lot of people these days on earth. Given that fact, we're doing quite well, I say. Yeah, yeah, it needed to happen. It needed to bring more awareness. There's lots of room for improvement, right? Yes, we got political and I love it. Language and politics, they're also tied together. Mm, definitely. And also like uh, socioeconomics and yeah. stuff, you know, that's a huge part. Yeah. When I moved to the East Coast, I was closer to Europe geographically. So 
I also bothered more to watch the European news. And I realized from all the languages I spoke how different the US news that were actually happening in real time where I was have been translated in those respective countries. And my question to you is like being in the US and living there, do you ever get to a situation where you're realizing, wait a minute, like the way you depict a situation in Mexico or vice versa? Is mm, that right? Yes, it does. Yeah. Mexico gets depicted very um gruesomely, right? Mm-hmm. Crime ridden, drug ridden, full of like um poverty. So yes. And I have to also sometimes when I'm reading the news and like, it's like, it's so sensationalized that it becomes clickbait. How can we get people to click? And it's, 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 and it's also fear driven. The pandemics emphasize that even more, right? I do feel like the depiction of other countries ends up being put into extremes. I wish the news would depict the other side also to show the, the quotidian of like the everyday uh, experience of someone's life and make that, that balance, you know, I'm like, yeah, there is that, but there, but there's also this going on, the sense of community, the sense of life, the sense of family. For you coming from two cultures, how would you define cultural belonging? I know it's a really big question, um, but maybe if we just look at it from a linguistic perspective, how important is language for the notion of cultural belonging? Because I, what you said earlier, what, what struck me that you don't feel like you belong to yes, though you, you have these languages at the level of perfection. I think cultural belonging is, is it's part of life and something that you go through life and you learn. You learn along the way. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I belong to any specific culture per se like the hundred percent you know I can't be a hundred percent Mexicana and I feel like I can't be a hundred percent Americana I'm a mix of both and that's okay and maybe I'm also a mix a little bit of with uh, with other cultures that I admire as well and that should be okay as well I don't see it as black or white per se like saying I'm only this part of me is I only accept the Latina side of myself. Yeah. I struggled with that once I'm like going, well, I can't be because I'm a blend of things, right? I'm a blend of both cultures, pop culture from uh, American culture, and also my like, my roots from mi familia. I am part of both. That's that's cultural belonging is to accept me as who I am. And that is, I'm just not this or that. I'm a little bit of both. Many. <laughs> I think I'm a bit, I'm many. <laughs> Do you still consider yourself a migrant? Well, I'm a daughter of an immigrant, so I guess I am, you know? I guess yes and no. It, it, I don't think I ever feel like I, I'm i not. But I mean, I I know that I have the right to belong. Mm-hmm. I know my I know my right. I belong. You know, I'm like anyone questioning that. I mean, they need to go question their own life and stop meddling in my own business and stuff. So I belong. Why shouldn't I belong? Correct. <laughs> and do you think um, it would be beneficial for us to have a universal language? Well, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about that. And it made me think of like, isn't that what English has been trying to do? I don't mind the idea as long as you can still maintain other languages, right? Mm. Um, respect other languages. But if I have to give up like my native language, no, I'm, I'm not okay with that. 
I like the idea of living in a world where there's many different languages, even though I don't understand them. Mm-hmm. There's a rhythm of life. There's a rhythm and there's a dance. And I think that makes it beautiful and much more interesting to me. I think it would be boring if we just had one universal language and that's all we spoke. It's just like having one art piece and one artist. It's like, I love Mexican food, but boy, I really love Thai as well. You know, um, one of the, one of the memories I have is when I'd go visit my partner when he was um, getting his master's at the Royal College of Art in London is visiting. And I would spend part of my day, like riding the tube and riding the buses. And I would love, sometimes I would get on the bus and no one was speaking English. I had no idea what language, but I felt like I was traveling the world at that moment. Mm-hmm. And it made it made my life really interesting and it made it a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it. And, you know, you would hear people giggle and, and, you know, and it's just like, I don't understand what they're saying, but it's maybe it sounds they're giggling. So there's a lot of joy. I don't feel threatened by not understanding a language that I cannot speak. That's so amazing that you bring that up. And I, if you don't mind, I would really just add this question to my, you know, list of questions. I think there are a lot of people who feel threatened. I remember being corrected in elementary school, like the Latin kids were asked not to speak Spanish. Not, you know, it wasn't prohibited, but they were asked to because they said that the teachers would correct us and say, well, here's the thing. He's like, it's fine that you speak Spanish. It's just that the other people, the other kids, the other people around you don't understand. And so it can be seen as being rude. So why don't we all just speak a language that we all can communicate in? So it was, I almost get the message of like, it became, it was intimidating that they feared it. And there was like this threat. And so I felt like I was being limited in my form of expressing myself. Um, I didn't understand at the time. Now I can understand. I'm like going, okay, well, some people do feel that way. I'm just not one of them. I mean, I've been I've been in the situations traveling to Turkey and not knowing the language. And I love Turkey. I love the people. They it was they were so welcoming and so loving. And we did not know how to communicate, but we communicated through our bodies. Mm-hmm. And through our gestures and mm-hmm. through our presence. And that is beautiful to me. That's one of the things that I love about traveling. You don't even have to say a smile, a, a look, an energy about you is going to be welcoming or not. Oh, the other senses come out, right? Yes, completely, completely. I'm like, and that's the learning a new dance. Hmm. You know, it's like it's awkward at the beginning and then it's like, okay, I think I can get into it. Maybe it's I'm on my own beat <laughs> and stuff, but if the other person can be open and accepting, I'm like, we can, we can work through this. As I get older, I'm like, um, life is just a little too short to be so uh, rigid and boxed in, you know, I'm like, that's to me, that's no way of living. I'm like, just kind of open it up a little bit, right? Yeah, and take on the fluidity of the internet a little more, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
or walk away you know if you know I always say it like if anybody if it's like something it's just like oh boy I'm just like it's too exhausting I'm like I don't have time for you you know I gotta go live my life thank you so much for this interview and yeah for sharing your story oh thank you so much this is been really really wonderful and I'm really excited and happy that you're doing this and um Thanks. I feel like this this helps people grow we're just learning from each other you know yeah learning from each other absolutely I, I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing what a great art project Thanks. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> In into your autobiography, that's where it goes. It's yeah. it's a it's part of your history and it's part of your it's part of your creative process. Mm. You're like, you know, you're gathering information and that information is going to inspire you to do something else. And you're helping me grow and I just didn't even realize some of these things about how I view language and that that's part of also my point of view as a, as a creative too. Curious to see what you do next, you know? Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. Thank this you. is great. You can connect with Norma through Instagram or blog or Twitter. You will find her at She Said Red. Thank you for your support so far through donations. If you want to collect my art, reach out to me. Please continue to like, share and subscribe. Until next time, be well.